Well, good morning, and uh, it's this beautiful day, and are you all ready for the hot weather? Mm. Oh. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the passage that uh, Matthew read for us earlier, and the passage that we read together. Um, we're just going to have a look at it. We're going through um, the Colossians, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, and last week we dealt with chapter 1. I want us just to think about these few verses from the beginning of chapter 2. Paul. Okay, what do you know about Paul? What do you think about Paul? What comes into your mind when you hear that name, Paul? Paul was once Saul. The names are the same, Paul and Saul. One is Jewish name, one is Gentile name, so his parents now. Paul, who was once called Saul, the persecutor of the early church, who after his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, we then have Saul the believer. Paul the persecutor, Saul the believer. And we then have Saul, the persecutor, the believer, and the one who became an apostle. If you go to Acts 9, you can read about that. But just to go through one or two things from that passage, you know, when Paul became a believer, he was well-educated. He was a young man. He was a young man who had great knowledge. He was a young man who had great knowledge of the scriptures. He was taught that knowledge by a man called Gamaliel. Now Gamaliel in his day was so famous and so well known for being the best teacher around. You can go to your history books and you can read about him. You can go and Google it, Gamaliel, and it will tell you. And Paul was educated by him. A young man, a clever man, knew the scriptures. But he wasn't a believer. He wasn't a Christian. But Paul became a Christian. But at that point, he was what we might call a babe in Christ. Now, it doesn't matter how old you are, when you first come to God through Jesus, you are a babe in Christ. Now, how did the Holy Spirit guide him? Well, he guided him the way he would guide and has guided each of us who have accepted Jesus as our Saviour. You see, the Holy Spirit guided him. And he did that in a very simple way. The Lord told Paul to go to the house of Judas. Oh, you got a name there, a man. This isn't Judas Iscariot. This is another Judas. And then the Lord sent a believer called Ananias to go to the house where Saul was, Saul who became Paul, Saul who is this young believer, and Ananias was sent to help him. Get that. God is sending people to help Paul. And later Paul would meet a man called Barnabas. Now, we hear about Barnabas. Barnabas was you know, more well-known than Paul was at that point. And Paul, uh, Barnabas, his name, it actually means encourager. And Barnabas encouraged Paul. He took Paul under his wing and he took him to Jerusalem and introduced him to the rest of the apostles. Here's a question for us this morning. Who encouraged you? when you became a Christian. 
you know, it's good to look back to those times and to see how God brings people into our lives. People who will encourage us, particularly in those early days. Who encourages you now? I think we're older. And, you know, we're more sort of life savvy, if that's the right word. But who is there to encourage us now? You know, the influence that we have on each other's lives is an important influence. You can see that in our daily lives. How people influence us. Think about it. As a Christian, what effect do we have on each other? Paul the Apostle, whose mission was to preach the Gospel, was also Paul the encourager. Just as Barnabas had encouraged Paul, Paul then encouraged others. We don't usually call Paul Paul the encourager, do we? But he is. He is an encourager. And the evidence of Paul as the encourager is in his letters that he wrote to the churches, not least of all, as we see it in this letter to the church of Colossae, to a people who he hasn't even met. But Paul knows the problems that they face. He's not been there. He's not seen most of them, maybe one or two. But he knows the problems that they're having. He knows the problems that they are facing and he knows that they already have the answers to hand. But they need to be encouraged to rediscover mainly two things. One, who they are and what they have in their belief of Jesus. The reason for this is that there are people among them who are claiming to be more knowledgeable. Get that, don't you? A lot of people around who we look at and think, ooh, that guy, he's a lot more knowledgeable than I am, or she is a lot more knowledgeable than I am. These people who are among them would claim to be more knowledgeable about spiritual things than the rest of the people in the church are. And here lies the rub. Their aim is to attempt to lead the believers away from the truth of God's words. That was their aim. It was all selfish. It was all feeling better than other people are. And then using your intellect to bring things to people and to speak to them in a way that they would look and hear you and think, oh, they're cleverer than I am. They must be right. The Daily Express always right. <laughs> Is the BBC always right? You know, we're influenced by these things and very often we come away and think, oh, it must be right. Because the BBC said it. And it's not right because the Daily Express said it. We're influenced by these things. That's right, isn't it? And these people are claiming to have a deeper spiritual knowledge, a knowledge that's based on man's philosophy, what they believe, what they think. It's based on tradition. We've always done it this way, so we have to do it this way. 
You ever had a new boss come in? He'll have a few. And that's the famous, why are we doing it this way? Well, we've always done it this way. <laughs> Is it right? I don't know, but we've always done it this way. Tradition. And not God's truth. First. As I've already intimated, it happens today. As people will, to use a modern phrase, cut and paste God's word. Yeah. Take out the bits they like. Put them into their own ideas and ignore the things that they don't like and then come and tell you this is God's word. And if you challenge them, they'll say, oh yes, well that's a bit old-fashioned now, isn't it? Do you know how old that book is? Yes, I do. Do you know that book is still here though? Do you know why it's still here? Because it's God's word and it needs to be here and he's made sure it's here, despite the efforts of people to, even today, hide it, burn it, challenge it, lie about it. We have this natural tendency to trust people who seem to know more than we do, and that can be a good thing. But it's not always a good thing. Sometimes it can be a bad thing. I'm sure you're familiar with the phrase, um, fake news. It's a new phrase coming, hasn't it now? Well, it's been around a while. Fake news, articles or statements that will try to convince us that what is being said is true. You know, you can even go on the internet and you can find people there who will help you and show you how to create your own fake news. Sometimes it can be used as a humorous way. You know, they might take a face off Mo Salah and put him on the Prime Minister and put a comment below, I don't, I don't know. It's not real news and you can see right through it. It's not true. But then there's other news that you think, oh, that could be right. What do you do when you face that? You go back to the original source. And that's what you need to do. Go back to the original source. And this is what Paul is encouraging the believers to do. He's saying to them, look, you're being told things that you are beginning to believe because the people who are telling you these things seem to be very knowledgeable about spiritual things. Paul could say to them, he doesn't, but he could say, listen, I was very knowledgeable about spiritual things. But eventually, when I met Jesus, I could see right through it. I could see the truth that was in there. And I could take that truth. And that's what I'm sharing with you. That's what he's doing. And he's saying, go back to the original source and see exactly what it's saying. So we come to Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, the passage that we read. And that's just a little bit of a background and introduction to bring it up to speed and, and to say this that was happening there then in the early church has been happening right through. And this is an early beginning of things that grew and became even bigger. You know, there's big words we could use to describe that. What it means is people who take the truth, twist it, and then present it as being the truth. 
and it's for their own benefit. So verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul said, I want you to know how hard I'm contending or struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. So here in chapter 2, Paul tells them that he's, he's, he's contending, he's struggling for them. In other words, he's struggling on their behalf. He's not there with them, but he knows their problem. And he's really struggling for them. And he's struggling on their behalf. He identifies with them. He's already done that in chapter 1. And he's now identifying with them, not just as, as believers and fellow brothers and sisters, but now I'm like one of you. I'm standing where you are, not physically, but I'm with you. He's standing beside them. Just as he's standing beside other believers. These believers he's never met. These are the people in Colossae, but also the people in the church at Laodicea, which geographically is about 10 miles from Colossae. So this is another one of the local churches, which you will read about in Revelation, by the way. Church at Laodicea. You know, thinking about Paul, when he wrote this letter, he's in prison, he's going problems himself he's got a long prayer list we see that we have the evidence of that not just in the letters he writes but in what he says in those letters he knows what is Paul praying for well just to go back for a moment into chapter 1 verse 9 Paul said, we continually, continually ask God to fill you with knowledge. There's that word again. But let's read on. We continually, continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. This is going back to the original source. Not just knowledge about the knowledge of knowing God. But that's what it is. It's not just knowledge. It's about the knowledge of knowing God and in knowing God, knowing Jesus. And because you know Jesus, you know God. And this is the knowledge you have. Which leads us back to chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, Paul went on, he said, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of the people to stand in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, he's saying, look, stand together. Stand together in what you know to be true. Don't listen to these people as individuals. You who believe, you know what you believe. Stand together in that belief. You know it's true. And the mystery that Paul refers to is a mystery that's being revealed to them. It's not a particularly good example, but you know, the Agatha Christie mysteries. I know most of them. So not a mystery to me now, are they? But if you haven't read the books, it's a mystery to you. So the mystery here is a mystery that's been revealed. He's saying, 
You've read, you've got the Old Testament, you've got the books, you've got the letters, the letters have been said, you've got the words that you've been told, you've got all these things, and this mystery in these things is revealed to you. So if you don't know the mystery, go and read the Agatha Christie book, and the mystery is real. Do you have the, the example there? He's saying, look, this mystery is not a mystery to you. It's been revealed to you. The mystery that's revealed to them is the mystery is that God could love sinners. And God's love is so deep and so mysterious to us. But we know the truth of it. And the truth of it is he gave his son to die for you. You know this. This is a mystery to others. It's not to you. This mystery that's been revealed to you. The mystery. And they believe it in the power of the sacrifice made on the cross. And it's by this that God has accepted and forgiven them. Okay. These are the basics they've got to get back to. This is the truth being revealed. And they know the truth. They've been living by the truth. And Paul's saying, listen, don't let anybody persuade you to take away anything from this truth. Don't let anyone tell you that you need to add anything to this truth other than your belief and your trust in it. He's saying, keep hold of it. Be united in this. And don't let anyone take it away from you. And get together and encourage each other. This letter would have been read publicly to the church. And he's speaking to the church, but he's speaking to the individuals. And I can imagine people who have been worrying about this. I don't fully understand what these other people are saying. And thinking, yes, that's what I know. That's what I know. That's true. Looking at each other going, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. How do you feel? I'm okay. I can also imagine maybe these other people who are trying to persuade them to move away from this, who are telling them you've got to add more in order to be saved, more than what Jesus did on the cross, probably slinking down in their chairs a little bit. And maybe thinking, oh, <laughs> it wasn't just an individual being told this, it was a church and they're being told by Paul, look, unite together, get together, stand firm, grab hold of it, keep hold of it. Don't let anybody take it away from you. Don't let anybody tell you you've got to change it. And don't you try to change it. Because it's all complete. That's what truth is. Verse 4 and 5. Paul goes on, I tell you that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in the body, I'm present with you in spirit, delighted to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. There's a few words in there. I read this in an updated uh, NIV. It's a little bit more updated than this one. But the same thing, the same words, the same principles. And what Paul is saying here, he's giving them two things. And I'm just going to put it this way. Two things are deceived and disciplined. Deceived and disciplined. To deceive is to deliberately cause someone to believe something that is not true. That's deception. We know that, don't we? Maybe we've done it in the past. Maybe, you know, did you do that? No, I didn't do it. 
I'll go and move a few things around so that I haven't done it. And then when you look at them, you think, well, maybe he's telling the truth. And then I just insist that I haven't done it. Because I'll Ken or I'll Steve, so he's not me. Yeah? To direct words that are deliberately causing someone to believe something that is not true. They are the deceivers. And to be disciplined means to stay in control of what you know to be true. You get that? Disciplined. Stay in control of what? In this case, of what you know to be true. Verses 6 through to 7. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted, built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. It's great words. Great words of encouragement. You know, I want us just to go to a verse from the 23rd Psalm, David's Psalm. David is writing about himself, but you know, he's writing so that we will know and that we will be able to be like him in certain situations. So we can personalise these things. And I'm just going to, I think you've got the liberty to do that. To help us bring it into our day and to understand that it applies to us as well as it applied to David. I'm just going to read it like his own. It's said to us. So as I read this, you just put yourself these words are your words. The Lord has prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies, anointed your head with oil, and your cup overflows. You think, how can they apply to me? You know, those words like, you know, table, and anointed, and overflowing. Well, they do apply to us. A table. <clears throat> a nice spread on a table. God has spread a table before us as he did for David. And the table is filled with everything we need. Paul in 1 Corinthians said this. This is chapter 2 verse 6 to 10. We do however speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Well, not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. That's you and I, if you know Christ as your Saviour. None of the rulers of this age understood it, but if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, in our age, if people fully understood that, they wouldn't reject Jesus. They wouldn't try to contradict the Bible. None of the rulers of this age understood it. But if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, Paul will now quote from Isaiah, Isaiah 64 verse 4, which tells us the link between the Old and the New Testaments. They're all part of who we are. As Christians. Paul says this, and this is the quote from Isaiah. 
What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. That was the people of the Old Testament, that is for us in the New Testament, those who lived before the cross and those who lived after the cross. God prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. Going back to that verse from Psalm 23, in the presence of our enemies. Oh, do you have any enemies? Jesus has enemies. Enemies against God's word. Enemies against the Bible. And what do we have in the presence of our enemies? We have the Bible, we have God's word, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have each other. See that? We have each other. And who's given us each other? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Anointed. Oh, I've never been anointed. <laughs> what does that mean? 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20 and 22. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so, through him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. And here it is, right? God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. Oh. So we have been anointed. Yes. What does that mean here? Paul tells us, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. His seal. That's it. We are stamped with his name. Anointed. Old Testament before the Old Testament. The anointed. That's the seal. This is who you belong to. Cup overflows. I'm going to finish with this little one. And um, what I'm going to do, we, we, that hymn we sang, Horatio Spafford, just take a note of the name. His name is above that hymn, that hymn, 757. And if you don't know, go and Google his name. And read the circumstances that led him to write that hymn. Bring tears to your eyes. Take a note of his name. His cup overflowed and he wrote that hymn in the midst of pain and agony and loss. And he wrote that hymn. And you read his cup overflowed. And there's another hymn. I'm not going to sing it, but I will finish by quoting the words. This was by Johnson Oakman Jr. And the hymn is called Count Your Many Blessings. I don't think it's English in praise. But just listen to these words. When upon life billows you are tempest tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And the chorus goes, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Listen to the other verses. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy? You are called to bear. 
Count your many blessings. Every doubt will fly and you will be singing as the days go by. When you look at others with their, with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings. Many cannot, money cannot buy your reward in heaven or your home on high. So amid the conflict, whether greed, <laughs> when amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend, help and comfort you. Give to your journey's end. Great hymn. And one of those people who encouraged me when I was just a, a teenager, a Christian, used to sing his own little sort of bits to that. So the refrain is, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. And he used to sing, count your many blessings, count them two by two, and it will surprise you what the Lord can do. Count your many blessings, four by four, and it will surprise you, there are many more. Isn't that crazy? That's an encouragement. Must have encouraged me, because I still remember it. I can still see him sitting there singing it. You know? Great. To summarise for us this morning as we close, encouragement requires effort. Requires action. It's not passive. Paul acted. He heard, he prayed, and he wrote that letter, telling them, Look, I'm not here, but I'm standing with you. I know what you're going through, and here's a little bit of advice. I want you to know, this is Paul, the great apostle. He's in prison, no? He's taking the time to do this. And what does he say? Continue. Continue to live in the light of who you know Jesus is. Rooted. Rooted in the gospel, the good news that comes to us about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Built up, together in faith, being encouraged and encouraging each other. And overflowing with thankfulness. A few things for us to think about there in this uh, passage, those first seven verses. And we'll have a look at a few more verses in Colossians as we go through this week together.